0: we pick back up where Walt left off uh, with the Beatitudes, not, not just the Beatitudes, but with the Sermon on the Mount, Chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount. I know that you all probably uh, have, if you've been here any length of time, realize that there's a juxtaposition here where Jesus, in presenting uh, the Sermon on the Mount, is aligning himself with Moses, or the sim- there's symbolism there that Jesus is the new Moses. Uh, Moses comes and goes to the top of Mount Sinai, is given the law, the tablets of the Ten Commandments and gives those to the people. Jesus is on the mountaintop and he pretty much is taking the law. Remember last week you talked about the law and the prophets and he's reinterpreting, he's doing an interpretation of that law and giving it to the people. A new way of looking at the law, and so he's seen as being a prophet in the lie in the line of Moses, but one with great authority. And so today we're going to talk about the antitheses. You have heard it said, but I say to you, and we're going to talk about the one that talks about adultery and divorce, which makes us all squirm because, if the statistics prove, about half of people in the room have have been in at least a divorce. So um, <laughs> we're not going to speculate on the other, but it they've been in divorce, it's in the family, uh, we've all been touched by that, and we have, if we're honest with ourselves, when we read Jesus' uh, section in, in the Sermon on the Mount, it makes us all a little uncomfortable, and so we're going to like look at that today and see what's behind that. Um, last week, as, as we said, um, Walt talked about the law and the prophets, that Jesus came not to replace the law, but to fulfill the law. And, uh, and what he's doing is he is interpreting the law, the halakha, um, that Hebrew word, the halakha. He's, he's interpreting the law, and that is sort of in line with uh, other rabbis who've interpreted the law. And that we find those writings in the Mishnah and some in the later in the Old Testament. And so, uh, Jesus' halakha on these, the, the law, the Ten Commandments, are going to be set in phrases or found in the phrases, you have heard it, that it was said, but I say to you. You have heard that it was said, meaning in the, o, in the Old Testament or in really the Ten Commandments. You've heard it said, but I say to you. And throughout Chapter 5, we hear Jesus repeatedly saying, you have heard it said to the people long ago, like this is from Moses and the Ten Commandments, uh, but I say to you, these statements are known as antitheses, they're antithetical. And um, Jesus' halakha, his interpretation, he does several of these in the Sermon on the Mount in Chapter 5. He does one on killing, you've heard it said, uh, do not kill. Uh, there's one on adultery that we're going to talk about today and divorce, um, on taking oaths on revenge on uh, loving your neighbor and so over the next couple of weeks we're going to pull out pull out a couple of these we're going to talk about the one on adultery and divorce and the one on revenge and loving your neighbor and um, so what is interesting about these antitheses is that the rabbis would interpret the law but they would sort of expand or here's what i think it's saying no known rabbi ever contrasted his own views with what god had said in the torah those those ten now maybe on other things on the little on the little dots and tittles of the law but not on what god had said in the torah so this is pretty shocking stuff and so the first of jesus's antitheses of course is concerned with the sixth commandment on killing and we're going to look at that just real briefly so you get an idea uh in matthew 5 21 through 26 it says you have heard it you have heard that it was said of those in ancient times thou shalt not murder and whoever whoever murders shall be liable to judgment but I say to you so do not murder that's the 10 command that's one of the the seventh commandment sixth commandment uh, but I say to you if you are angry with a brother or sister you will be liable to judgment wow that's a lot different so what we know is is that Jesus isn't concerned He is concerned with the outside action. He's like, let's get down to the root of the problem, and let's look inside. That where these problems are coming from—killing, so murder and um, adultery—all of those really are coming from within, from the heart. The Ten Commandments, you remember, they're really set in two sections. One is about love of God, and the other is about love of neighbor. And that's where Jesus said, you know, this is where the law—the whole law hinges—love of God and love of neighbor. And so all of that then is he's getting to the root of the problem. So Jesus is striking at the heart of the law here and he's going to bring this up into all of his teaching and so today Jesus is moving to the seventh commandment. We've gone to the sixth commandment of uh, thou shalt not murder to the seventh commandment and the issue of adultery. So this Get on your squirming seats here. So Jesus is going to make a really surprising and unprecedented move. He will link the seventh commandment and adultery to, to d- which, something that is not in the Ten Commandments. He's going to link that to divorce. Um, and so Jesus', Jesus is teaching on this topic in the New Testament on adultery and divorce occurs no less than five times in the New Testament and really that is more uh, than on any other issue Jesus addresses which says to us this probably a pretty serious thing and in those five accounts is also very interesting because they don't have Jesus saying the same thing each account is a little bit different so that makes us scratch our head and they don't have Jesus uh, giving a consistent message so all five accounts say a little bit different things and so Uh, We're going to go back and take a look at those. In fact, we have five different versions of what Jesus said, or rather we have five um, different versions of how early Christians adapted what Jesus said um, into their context or into their situations. And so we're going to take a look at those. And this gives us an indication of just how controversial Jesus' teaching on this topic was and how controversial it is today. Um, It also raises a question about you know what did jesus actually teach on this so we see that jesus really did teach on this topic because everyone's mentioning it but what did he really say because we're getting five different versions from five different people and what did that teaching actually mean what did it mean in jesus's day and then what does it mean in ours and that's what we're going to take a look at so here we go this is the second antithesis you have heard it said or you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Ow. <laughs> Uh-oh. We're all in trouble. <laughs> if your right eye causes you to sin, and, this, and, here's, and so here's, his like, here's, here's what we do about it. If your right eye causes you to sin, he's getting kind of funny here, tear it out and throw it away. So if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So this is one in my, uh, at Perkins, I had a professor that said, if we were all biblical literalists, we would all be walking around without eyes. We would be missing one. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell okay so as jesus did with killing he takes on the traditional teaching of of the law of the sadducees and pharisees and then he radicalizes it and he internalizes it let's let's get to the heart what's going on inside so this is what going down to the motive of what lies behind the act it's it's internal it all comes down to what's going on in our heart that causes the action remember when he said um It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles the body, but what comes out of the heart and what comes out of the mouth, the words that we use. So sort of the same thing is happening here. So Jesus is going to do this with each one of the antitheses. And um, this passage, of course, like we've already said, it's very full of rabbinic humor. So obviously, if your eye causes you to sin, what are we going to do with it? Wrap. yep. And if your right hand causes you to sin cut it off. If the issue is (laughs) adultery, let's move on. Um, Yeah, there you go. So for Jesus, we must go beyond, we're going to go beyond the letter of the law and into, and, and the outward act and deal with the root cause of the problem. And adultery like killing doesn't begin with the act it begins with the heart right it begins inside the person and so this is not what is shocking about Jesus teaching on adultery what's shocking is that he he doesn't stop with that'd be great if he stopped with that right because we all get that part he doesn't stop with the internal motivation he goes on to link this seventh commandment uh, forbidding adultery with another law found in the Torah not in the ten commandments but in in the the five books of Moses, and that is the law on divorce that comes from Deuteronomy, which uh, comes from Moses. So Matthew t- five twenty seven says, it was also said, so he says, it was said, but I say to you, now it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, Except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. Well, that's interesting. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So Jesus acknowledges that divorce is permitted in the Torah. We can—it's permitted that that Moses said it was OK, but he adds that it's only permitted in the case of unchastity, that this this is his interpretation, or his reinterpretation, and, and this is why. Um, and so the NRSV and the word unchastities could be a bit vague. I think we kind of all get what that is. But the word that Matthew uses is porneia. It's where the, the word uh, pornography comes from, and which means fornication. Um, And so the NIV uses unfaithfulness. The King James was probably closest to the original when he uses fornication. Um, And Jesus, though, would have not used the Greek porneia. He would have used uh, the Hebrew and Aramaic word na'ap. And na'ap is the word that's used throughout the Old Testament in the commandments uh, when they talk of adultery. And so it's very clear that Jesus is referring to the seventh commandment. Because that's, it goes back to the Ten Commandments and the use of adul- the word for adultery there, and the only exception for divorce, of course, is in the case of adultery. And so that is what he's saying here. And later in Matthew, the issue of divorce comes up again, but with a, a bit of a key difference. And so this is source same writings, same same author. And Matthew states in verse nineteen or chapter nineteen, some Pharisees came to him. As they always do to test him and they asked is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife so we've already heard that in the law it's lawful but Jesus says you shouldn't except for adultery is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause and he says he answered have you not read that the one who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's one of the the most beautiful readings that we read at weddings, that uh, that a man shall leave his father and his mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but they're one flesh, because they're one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together let no one separate. We hear these words at weddings. I just said them last night. What God has joined together, let no one put asunder. It's found in Genesis. It's found in Matthew. It's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And in Matthew 19, Jesus says that divorce is not allowed, period. Well, that's kind of a conundrum for us, isn't it? Because last night I performed a wedding of a woman who'd been widowed and a man who'd been divorced. And because of the circumstances behind that, we just, we celebrated it. We thought it was wonderful. So where does this put us? Does this put us in conflict with Jesus? Well, let's read on. It could. What, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So the Jewish leaders, then they, ch- they challenge Jesus, right? Because it's allowed in Torah. Because they know that divorce is allowed in the law. And um, then Matthew 19:8 and 9 says, They said to him, why then did Moses command us to give a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her? Moses well, they're saying Moses commanded it. Moses why did why did Moses command us to get a divorce? And they're they're kind of twisting things a little bit. And he said to them, It was because you were so hard-hearted that Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. Of course, that was, you know, a thousand years before. It was because you were so hard-hearted that, that Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. Um, but from the beginning, it was not so. From the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for unchastity and marries another commits adultery. He, he reinforces what he said in the antitheses. And um, so when others mention that there's an allowance for divorce and it's found in Torah, Jesus acknowledges this. Yes, that's true. But then he changes commanded to allowed. God didn't command people to give certificates of divorce. Um, God allowed, and Moses said it was allowed, and adds that that was never God's intent. God's intention is not for divorce and brokenness, and it was only allowed because of their hardness of heart. So Jesus then ends by reiterating what he said on the Sermon on the Mount, which is the only grounds for divorce would be for unchastity or for adultery. Then let's go to Luke. Luke contains a version that's essentially the same as the passage found in Matthew. Um, And so let's hear what Luke has to say. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. And then Mark contains a fourth version that's a parallel to Matthew 19 and it has a bit of a difference it's a striking difference Mark 10 says whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her a little bit of change of word there Ooh, here's something new and if she divorces her husband and marries another she commits adultery what's different here somebody yeah the first time there's a woman's has okay, an equal, equal opportunity here um so if she divorces she commits adultery so mark adds that there's a possibility that a woman could divorce a man uh something obviously that couldn't happen in earlier jewish law and culture it didn't happen in jewish law and culture so who's mark probably including in this uh uh-huh, maybe the the gentiles yeah so uh, anyone uh, that's not jewish so Mark has adapted Jesus' statement on divorce to, I heard someone say the Greeks, to the Greco-Roman world. So uh, in the Greco-Roman world, women could get a divorce, and so he's including them in this words. He's taking Jesus' uh, words, and he's adapting it and interpreting it for the Greco-Roman world, where women had a di- uh, the right to divorce a man. So there's also a f- yet a fifth version of this uh one that predates the gospels because it was written by paul and it's the the oldest known reference to this teaching of jesus and it comes from paul and this is the one recorded in first corinthians and it's the it's it's the most shocking of all why do you hear this one It, it gets even more strict and it's the earliest one to the married i give this command so this is from paul this command not I, but the Lord. So this, is the, this, is, this command is from the Lord, and I'm telling you about it. That the wife should not separate from her husband, and that husband should not divorce his wife. So Paul seems to understand that Jesus' teaching rules out divorce. Obviously, he didn't know Jesus. He didn't hang around Jesus except on the Damascus Road. But he knows of this teaching, and so he's applying it here. And he does not seem to know about any exception on the grounds of adultery. So he do, he's not mentioning adultery. This just shouldn't happen. There should be no divorce, no separation. In addition, Paul does what Mark did. He adapts the teaching of Jesus to this Gentile environment where a woman could initiate a divorce because he starts with her. Don't separate from your husband. But then Paul does something remarkable and unexpected. And... Um, He acknowledges that a believer might go ahead and ignore a command from the law, from the Lord, and do something that Jesus has expressly forbidden. Listen to this. He says, But if she does separate, let her remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. So he's allowed, there is an allowance here, but Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on to adapt the teaching of Jesus to a whole new situation, adding his own interpretation of the command of the Lord. And so in chapter 7, he says, to the rest I say, and this is I and not the Lord. So before he said, this is what the Lord says. Now this is what I say. This is I and not the Lord, that if any believer has a wife who is an unbeliever, which probably, you know, during Jesus' time, that wouldn't have happened because all the early believers were, were Jewish. So if any believer has a wife who is an unbeliever uh, and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. So if you're a believer and you have a spouse that's not a believer,' you don't, you don't divorce. And if any woman has a husband who's an unbeliever and she consents to live and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. okay? But if the un- unbelieving partner separates, so if the unbelieving partner says, you know, this whole Jesus thing is just too much for me, I'm, I think I'm going to take a hike, uh, let it be so. That's okay. That's all right. Um, in such a case, the brother or sister is not bound. So Paul's comments are the most striking in the New Testament. Um, the Lord commanded no separation or divorce. That's what he's saying. But if we do divorce, if we ignore the Lord's command, uh, then we should stay single. And you know, these words, um, and this is where I, I love that we're going to go deeper into this because these words of if, you sh- if, if someone separates, uh, then they should be, you know, they should be reconciled uh, and that there's this absolute no allowance. Um, what we find oftentimes is that um, people use this, these words in the command of the Lord to send people back into abusive and horrible horrible situations that are life-threatening. Um, sometimes churches do that, and so um, this can be interesting as we go along to see what what Jesus is getting at here. So let me go back. So uh, we're supposed to say single if we leave, unless the person who's not a believer initiates, then the divorce is okay. Um, and so in this case, we're not bound to the marriage. So if someone leaves and they're not a believer, then we can we, we can get divorced, or apparently. Uh, we're not bound by Jesus' command there. Okay, so all this raises big questions, right? What did Jesus actually teach? Um, and, and what did it mean? And what did it mean then? And what does it mean for us today And this really hard stuff? Um, and why did Mark and Paul feel such freedom to be able to adapt and change what Jesus said or what Jesus commanded? Why, why were people kind of changing that to fit the situation? And so to answer these questions, we're going to have to take a look and put what Jesus and the others are saying in its h- historical context, as we do every week in here. This is what I love about this class and this and this service. Uh, in Second Temple Judaism, as you all know, divorce, as as we heard in the earliest uh, readings, was solely the prerogative of the man. So if you if anybody's getting divorced, the man's going to initiate that in a very patriarchal society. Um, and the legislation in Deuteronomy gives us an idea of how easily a marriage could be dissolved. So we hear and how devastating the consequences could be for a woman. A woman, as you all know, was property and sort of just seen sometimes as chattel and had no means of uh, economic security outside of a marriage. So if you this is why there's so many commands for us to take care of widows and orphans those were the uh, most vulnerable in society Um, because if if you were divorced then and if your family wouldn't take you back in you were in a world of trouble and if of course if you're an orphan then you again would have no means of economic security so the the consequences of divorce could be very devastating and deuteronomy says suppose a man enters into a marriage with a woman but she does not please him because he finds something objectionable about her and so he writes a certificate of divorce so this is where Moses is allowing this uh, um, he puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house that's how easy it is and, and they could, you could even say I divorce you I divorce you I divorce you goodbye don't let the screen door hit you Have, you know um, that's how easy it was so two things stand out in this first Only the man had the prerogative of of divorce. And second, the grounds were very vague and broad. We don't really know what the grounds were. The grounds were very vague. So what displeases him or something that he finds objectionable, this is where all the interpretation comes in for the later the rabbis. Now, uh, what what does this mean, this displeasing and finding something objectionable? Well, uh, the woman, of course... in in this time is just they're powerless they're uh easily victimized they're vulnerable and so she literally could be cast aside on a whim just you know don't I don't like what the pot roast um and you know and and there's nothing she can do about it and so she's very vulnerable and so this is the reality that Jesus is teaching when he is teaching about divorce what he's uh in the first century there was this vigorous debate within Judaism over what displeased meant and so um in Matthew 19, we had a, a reference to this debate in the question of whether it's lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason. And um, this debate is preserved, of course, in the Mishnah. And what we find in the Mishnah is two, two really two or three different ways of thinking about this. Um, the house of Shammai there's just one way of thought says a man must not divorce his wife unless he has found her unfaithful so this sort of backs up what uh, Jesus is saying but the house of Hillel says well he may divorce her if she only spoiled a dish for him so like I said if the pot roast isn't good honey just you know you're in big trouble and Rabbi Akaba says he may divorce her if he found another that is more pleasing to his eyes than his wife. Even though the Lord says in some of the prophets, do not put away the wife of your youth. You know, then if, you know, if we found the, um, someone a little younger, then that maybe that's okay. So Jesus, in what he's saying, has entered into this debate between Shammai and Hillel and Aqaba. and And so this is a hot debate, and so Jesus is in the midst of this with his own interpretation and what all uh, Jesus contemporaries um, say is allowed by the law they're all saying well here's what's allowed and Jesus rejects all of it because of the marginalization that it does to women at that time and of course I was telling a friend of mine about this who's gone through a, a horrible divorce years and years ago and she said well some things haven't changed much you know <laughs> she said um, so for Jesus the right of the man uh, the rights of the man to divorce his wife uh, though clearly given in Torah uh, are not the will of God it's not the will of God to cast people aside right if we're looking at the love of God and love of neighbor it's not a very loving thing to do is to cast someone off without any economic means um, and there were uh, the only concessions, al- that, that allowed by Moses was, a con- was concession and not commandment. Uh, and they're not allowed by Jesus. So reduced to its core, Jesus' message that, you know, you, you, you can't do this to those who are vulnerable. You can't, you can't cast people aside who are the most vulnerable in life. And so that's at the core of Jesus' teaching. And it violates the seventh commandment against adultery. So it's this by either the man committing adultery himself or by his forcing the woman to commit adultery if he if he casts her aside, if she remarries. So but what's most striking is that there are multiple and varying interpretations of Jesus' teaching, of course, that we've seen in the New Testament. These five ones and these five different stories tell us that it's obvious from reading these that early Christians are struggling with this just as as we have, that they're struggling. uh, So Paul and the writers of Mark and Luke and Matthew are all trying to figure out what's allowed, what isn't. We want to take Jesus' teaching very seriously, but what are we going to do with this teaching in our community and in our culture? And so they're taking it very seriously, yet they also had to adapt it so that it would fit their own situations. So Jesus' teaching on divorce becomes this test case, so to speak, of how the church has dealt with the teaching of Jesus. They accepted it, right? They accepted it. They accepted that what Jesus said was authoritative, and yet there was, and there's no way around that, that what Jesus says is authoritative. This is not the will of God. But they also had to adapt it to fit new situations. Uh, For Mark and Paul, we're going to put it in a Gentile or Hellenistic context. Um, Or where believers married to non-believers, this is in Paul's case, as as the gospel spreads and more and more people are believers and sort of households are divided on what you think. It's kind of like maybe in a household where you've got a Democrat and a Republican. I don't know. Um, How do we come together together? in our beliefs and so um paul adapts it for this and so for jesus divorce is not a part of god's will and plan for us um and jesus clearly is opposed to using divorce to do harm to another person that is what is at the heart of the law we don't use divorce to harm another person but the reality is as we all know that that happens right we do we are uh broken people at times and we have to deal with that reality as best we can sometimes addiction takes over a household Um, sometimes abuse and violence take over a household and you can't sometimes adultery enters into a household and brokenness occurs and so we have to deal with that reality Um, and thankfully we have a God of mercy and second chances and today, we still take what Jesus said very seriously, and we try to apply those principles to the world that we live in. Uh, again, you know, there's, there's no greater joy in standing and marrying people, and you know when they get married, we pray fervently that God will enter into that marriage and that they will do the will of God and that they will have an incredible and lifelong happiness and joy in Jesus Christ. But sometimes things happen where that doesn't that doesn't occur and brokenness occurs and so I'm going to move forward and look at our our current united Methodist social principles and our official position on divorce and so we're going to take a look at those this is the short version <laughs> we're, we're kind of going to pare this down yeah and you can all you can pick up if you want some wonderful night reading just pick up a uh, uh, the book of discipline and you can have that <laughs> under your pillow so God's plan is for a lifelong faithful marriage, and divorce is not part of God's plan, but is a regrettable alternative in the midst of brokenness. So we understand that we do live in a broken world. Divorce does not preclude a new marriage. Uh-oh. A lot of our principles just got lost. Are they there? No. I had a whole bunch of social principles. We were going to walk and... They are? May I? Okay, I'm going to read to you. This is. I've I've had trouble with the computer. Jackson and I both have been wringing our hands this morning with the computer and with slides. Okay, here we go. Can I read to you? Forgive me. And if you've got one of these, you can follow along. Uh, So divorce, um, we grieve. Okay, here we go. Okay, God's plan is for lifelong faithful marriage. However, when a, when a married couple is estranged beyond reconciliation, even after thoughtful consideration and counsel, divorce is a regrettable alternative in the midst of brokenness. We grieve over the devastating emotional, spiritual, and economic consequences of divorce for all involved, understanding that women, and especially children, are disproportionately impacted by such burdens. I love that that writing in our in our um, social principles. Let me see. As the church, we are concerned about high divorce rates. It is recommended that methods of mediation be used to minimize the adversarial nature and fault finding that are often part of our current judicial process. And I don't know if you know now, but we do have uh, we have Methodist mediators who will sit with couples so that so that hopefully divorces don't become adversarial and children aren't pulled apart, Um, and so that is something that we help, that our church helps with. Although divorce publicly declares that a marriage no longer exists, other covenantal relationships resulting from the marriage remain, such as the nurture and support of children and extended family ties. And this was so beautiful. I've, I did a wedding not too long ago. I always ask couples when they get married, why do you want to spend the rest of your life with this person? And again, this was a, a marriage where um, one person had been widowed and another had had a, a very regrettable divorce, and they came together, and what I, when, when I asked them, why do you why, why this person, the, the bride just couldn't say enough about how wonderful her new husband-to-be was about accepting her extended family, her her former husband's, her deceased husband's family is part of his family, um, and so we acknowledge what it says in here, and support. Uh, we we um, acknowledge that there are larger family ties involved in divorce. Um, we urge um, respectful negotiations in deciding the custody of minor children, and support the consideration. Of either or both parents for this responsibility and that custody not be reduced to financial support control or manipulation and retaliation the welfare of each child is the most important consideration divorce does not preclude a new marriage we encourage an intentional commitment of the church and society to minister compassionately to those in the process of divorce as well as members of di- as members of divorced and remarried families in a community of faith where God's grace is shared by all. So we do take Jesus' command very seriously, but we also recognize that we do live sometimes in brokenness. We we would hope that when people are considering divorce that they would think very carefully about how, one, if they could reconcile. That would be God's greatest will and plan, Uh, But two, if that isn't possible, that they do so in a way that causes no harm. Um, So anyway, that is our looking at the antitheses and what what Jesus had spoken of. And I know that I redid this slide three times. (laughs) We couldn't get anything to stick in there today. There's something going on in our computer system. Next week, we're going to talk about... Um, Jesus' antithesis on you have heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth but I say unto you we're going to talk about an eye for an eye and um, it's going to be pretty interesting so anyway we hope that you'll join us next week for the continuation of the antithesis